Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we do get started, I do want to let you know uh, the show is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners, and I particularly want to thank Ken so much for his support. You can support the show over at support.greatdetectives.net. All right, well, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into today's episode of The Man from Homicide, original air date, July 16th, 1951, and this is uh, The Old Man Kelso Murder. Man from Homicide in a moment. You can play a part in your country's defense and at the same time help your dreams come true. How? With United States defense bonds. By buying bonds, you lend your purchasing power to the government and at the same time set money aside for your own future. In 10 years, each $3 you invest will bring you four in return. Save with defense bonds. Buy them on the payroll savings plan or the bond a month plan. If you are unable to participate in either of these automatic plans, buy extra bonds as you can. Remember, United States savings bonds are now defense bonds. Buy them regularly. The Man from Homicide. According to Webster's Dictionary, homicide is the killing of one human being by another. According to Lieutenant Lou Dana... It's the beginning of a dirty, dangerous job that doesn't end until the killer is found. I don't like killers. Every week at this time, the American Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed... The star of stage and screen, Dan Durier, as Lieutenant Lou Dana, the man from Homicide. Most men spend their lives building walls around themselves. Money, social position, land... And the man with many walls may seem to be different from the man who sells pencils on the corner. But sudden death knows no walls. And when they look into its face, all men are pretty much alike. I know. What's up, Inspector? Something hot, Lou. Just took a call from old man Kelso. He's scared. Scared to death, Lou. What's he got to be scared of? Falling off his money? Claims someone is threatening to kill him. Stick a gum, Inspector? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. He asked for you, Lou. Right away. Yeah. Well, you better get on it, Lou. Inspector, what happens if we get a call from a fruit peddler who thinks someone is trying to kill him? Oh, I know, Lou. I know. We ignore it nine chances out of ten. Why is this so different? He sounded really scared, Lou, for one reason. And, well, you know the other. Nine million dollars. And I bet he can't sleep nights thinking how to make it ten. Better get out there, Lou. Sure, sure. I'll go out and hold Kelso's hand. And maybe some of what he's got will rub off on me. The 
the Kelso butler and I exchanged chilled greetings before he consented to guide me to Mr. Kelso's room, the 50-cent tour through a mausoleum. He announced me, left, and I was face to face with nine million dollars. Come in, Lieutenant. Come in. Sit down. Sit down. Thank you for coming so promptly, Dana. I won't forget it. I still have one or two friends left, you know. I won't forget it. Somebody's been threatening you, Mr. Kelso? Yes, he's been threatening me. Tell me a better word for it, Dana. Tell me a better word for it when a man announces openly, brazenly, over a period of weeks, that he intends to kill me. All right, Mr. Kelso. What's his name? There uh, will be no publicity concerning this, Dana. Not unless he carries out his threat. What? Oh, oh, yes. Well, his name is Farley, Dana. Stephen Farley. The name should be familiar to you? Ah, vaguely. Small-time hood, I think. I haven't heard anything of him in a couple of years. No wonder. I've been supporting him lavishly. Any particular reason? Farley has a sister, Vivian, formerly a singer. Oh, I remember now. And Vivian is... Mrs. Kelso. We were married quietly two years ago. Lucky you. I remember. It's because of Vivian that I haven't gone to the police before now. But, uh, well, he means it, Dana. He means to kill me. All right, if he made threats, we'll pull him in. I'm afraid it's not quite that easy. He has not openly promised murder in front of witnesses. He's too clever for that. What has he done? To me, he has implied repeatedly that I must be suffering, that death will be such a happy relief, that while Vivian and he will hate to see me go... They're willing to face it for my sake. He goes on like that repeatedly. Mr. Kelso, I'm from the Homicide Squad. If you've got a nasty brother-in-law, I'm sorry for you. But sympathy is about all I can give you. Lieutenant Dana, wait. What do you call this, if not overt evidence of intent to murder? Two days ago, Farley took an option on an expensive home with the down payment to be made in two weeks when he says he expects to... Come into a great sum of money. Two weeks. Anything else? No, certainly. He took an option on a yacht in the same manner, ordered expensive clothes, even consulted a mortician about funeral arrangements. I ask you, Tina, for the taxes I pay. I'm not entitled to protection from a thing like this. Am I to be murdered in my own bed with no one turning a hand to save me? What's this country coming to? When I'll I'm... look into it, Mr. Kelso. Where's Stephen Farley living? Gramercy Apartments on South Garden. I've maintained a residence for him, supported him, given him a car, and now... I'll now... look into it, I'll look into it. Your, um, wife around, Mr. Kelso? I believe Vivian is in the pool, uh, right through... I'll find it. What have I worked for all my life? What security have I obtained? What... Mr. Kelso, tell me. What's it like to have nine million dollars? It's... Uh... It's not what you'd expect, Tina. It's not what you'd expect at all. Mr. Kelso was shivering in the warmth of the day as I left him. And on guard outside his door was an empty suit of armor with a spear. A multi-millionaire defended only by a tin soldier. I found the pool and arching off the board in a front jackknife was Vivian. I wanted it to come up and out of the water fast so I could see if it was true. Hi. 
It was. Oh, water's wonderful today. You want to join us? Almost any other time, Mrs. Kelso. Lieutenant Lou Dana, homicide squad. Oh, you're looking for my husband, Lieutenant Dana? I've seen him. <laughs> I didn't believe him, I hope. Oh, this is Gordon Elliott, my husband's business manager. Oh, how are you, Dana? Excuse my wet hand. Sure. Just don't drip on my suit. Uh, Dana, believe me, I'm sorry you had this trip out here for nothing. I try to stop Mr. Kelso from phoning the police. It's but... all right. I don't mind. Uh, Gordon was just going to dress and go into town unless you want him for anything, Lieutenant. Mm, I guess you can take care of everything, Mrs. Kelso. So long, Elliot. Uh, bye, Dana. Uh, see you at dinner, Vivian. Right, Gordon. Gordon's got a wonderful tan, hasn't he? He must go over the books under a sun lamp. <laughs> The bitter Lieutenant Dana. I've heard of you. What about your husband, Mrs. Kelso? And your brother? Sit down, Lieutenant. Oh, oh, no, that one's wet over here. I'll stretch out if you don't mind. I'd be silly if I did mind. Thank you. You didn't take my husband seriously, did you, Lieutenant? Well, he seemed pretty serious about it. <laughs> he did? Well, you know how it is with someone that old. No. How is it? Would you like to rub some sun oil on my back? I'd love to, but I won't. What about your brother? Anything to it? Steve's not very much good. Never could take care of himself. He's one of the reasons I married Franklin. What are the others? Obvious. I like the reasons why uh, he married you better. <laughs> well, I got a response. And there's nothing in your brother's threats? No, no, I'm sure of it. Maybe I'd better ask brother. Then are you coming back and rub my back? There won't be much sun by then. Well? I know the pay is good, being Mrs. Franklin Kelso. But tell me, is it hard work? If I told you, Dana, would you... No. No, you wouldn't. No. Oh. I guess I wouldn't. Goodbye, Mrs. Kelso. Yeah? You should remember me, Farley. I do. You worked me over about three years ago. You didn't get anything out of me, Dan. Well, maybe I'll have more luck the next time. Can I come in, or shall we talk for your neighbors? You can come in, Dana. Nice apartment. Thanks. I know your decorator. He does calendars for pool rooms. Yeah, same old Dana, same jokes. Sit down. Drink? Not with you. Old man Kelso says you've been shooting off your mouth about killing him, Farley. Yeah, he's in his second childhood. I saw his second childhood. She says there's nothing to it either. Then why bother me? How about that house you took an option on? I've been looking for a place, yeah. What's with the yacht? Nothing serious. Nothing serious. Come here. Punk. Are you off me, Dana? This smells like a game, and I don't like anybody playing games with me. In particular, a cheap hood living off his sister. Here's a string around your finger to remind you. I don't have to take that anymore, Dana. Then don't reach in your pockets when I talk to you. What your sister married don't build you up with me at all, Farley. If you didn't have that badge, you wouldn't be so easy with your hands, tough guy. If I'm tough, it's because crime and guys like you have made me tough. I don't like your apartment, Farley. 
Don't give me any cause to come back. I thought it over on the way back to the station, and I didn't like it. The deal was giving forth a very ripe odor, but I couldn't localize it. The inspector shared the same headache. I don't know, Lou. Use your own judgment, I guess. What do you think? I don't know either. We haven't got enough to be sure. I guess we'd better put a tail on Farley for a few days. All right. Take Metzger for it. Okay, I'll send him out. And don't take any chances on a thing like this, Lou. Kelso's a big man. If he gets knocked off, we're not going to look good. We'll look a lot better than Kelso. Very comforting. I sent Metzger out to stay with Farley and tried to forget about the Kelso family. The old man was easy. But at midnight that night, in my room, I was still having trouble with Vivian. Yeah? Oh, Metzger. You what? You lost Farley? How long ago? Two hours. Well, why didn't you call me before, you... All right. No. Go on into the station, if you can find us. I'll go out to the Kelso place. And Metzger, great work. It was almost one when I pulled into the long driveway. And it took a lot of banging on the door to bang up the butler. This time I didn't wait for the guide service, but took off for Kelso's room alone. Did I mention that Kelso's room was an overnight hike from the front entrance? I was, and I didn't encounter any of the settlers along the way. I paused outside the door of the man guarded by a tin suit of armor. Something was missing from the empty soldier, but I couldn't place it. Mr. Kelso? Are you awake, Mr. Kelso? Mr. Kelso? All the lights were on in the room, and Mr. Kelso was in bed. Then I knew what was missing from the tin soldier outside. It was the spear. Sticking straight up in the air was pinning Kelso to the bed. And his nine million dollar life had run out in a thin red trickle. Technicians all through upstairs, Lou? Just about, Inspector. They got some very pretty pictures, but not much else. No prints on the murder weapon? Uh, too smeared to be any good for anything. Get anything out of the butler? Says he was in a clinch with the maid all evening. Did you check? Yeah, she says yes. Must want to hold her job pretty bad to be in a clinch with him. Yeah, like necking a quick-frozen salmon. Mrs. Kelso and Elliot show up yet? No, not yet. Butler said they went out about ten. And the murder was around midnight. How about little brother, Farley? Well, nothing on him yet. We got out a broadcast on him. Should hear something if he hasn't skipped. Looks open and shut against him. Sure, open and shut, open and shut. Now, don't make things complicated, Lou. I'm going upstairs. I'll wait for you. It's not so pretty. I want to go back. I prowled around downstairs. 
the library with the expensive first editions that Kelso had never read and never would, the dining hall with the Italian masters on the walls that Kelso had never really seen and never would, the whole huge place for entertaining the friends he had never really had and never would. Then I heard someone at the front entrance. Hello. Who's here? What's happened? How are you, Elliot? Oh, Lieutenant. Dana. Kelso. Have a bright and gay evening? We saw the police cars outside. What's wrong? One thing at a time. There's nothing wrong that you can do anything about. Care to tell me where you both were this evening? Oh, of course not. We went to a drive-in movie. Uh, Mr. Kelso didn't feel up to it, so I took Vivian. And how long were you there, Elliot? Why, it was a little after ten when we got there... After 12, when we left. Isn't that about it, Vivian? Yes. What is this, Dana? Somebody saw you when you drove in and uh, when you left? I think so, yes. The movie is close to here? Fairly close. Walking distance? What is this? You can both give me the plot of the movie? Well, I think so. It was the one about the talking mule. Francis goes to the races. You uh, want a resume? It's after two now. You left the movie at 12? We had a few drinks. And people saw you having the drink? Yes. Look, Dana... I imagine you both uh, can hazard a guess as to what this concerns. My husband? Somebody threw him a spear. He caught it. You're now the sole possessor of nine million dollars. So he did do it. Who did do what? Nobody. You'd have trouble convincing the late Mr. Kelso. Can I see him? He's not very nice to look at. How bad do you want to see him? Not very. Dana, can I take her into the study? If that's the best place you can think of, go ahead. Come on, Vivian. Mrs. Kelso. What, Dana? This new job, managing nine million dollars... It may be tougher than the last one. It's possible. But, Dana, don't let it keep you up nights. I was standing there wondering how it'd be to have Vivian Kelso keep me up nights when someone came down the stairs on very flat feet. Inspector Eddie Sherman. I got something, Lou. What? One of the prowl cars outside just picked up a flash. They grabbed Steve Farley trying to get on a bus for out of town. That's handy. Makes you look good, Inspector. Yeah. But, but Lou, if it ever gets out that Farley ventilated his brother-in-law after Kelso asked us for protection... I was just given some sound advice. Yeah? Don't let it keep you up nights. Let's go. That's not much of a story, Farley. That's all the story I got for now. That you don't remember anything from ten last night until they picked you up getting on a bus four hours later. That's it, then. And you're happy about your prospects. Inspector, take the boys out and give me some time alone with them, huh? Well, I... I don't know, Lou. There's going to be some expensive lawyers in this case. Just quiet conversation, Inspector. I'm warning you, Inspector. Dana's stuff don't go with me anymore. You're not fooling with some kid. I know my... Shut up. All right, come on, boys. Oh, Lou, uh, 
quiet conversation. You don't remember anything. I told you, Dan, and if you think that you can... What are you going to do? Quiet conversation. Reminiscence. I knew a real smart head a few years back got picked up on a murder rap. He was innocent, had an airtight alibi, but he waited until his trial to spring it. What happened? In the meantime, his alibi got hit by a car. They burned the real smart head. What? What's that got to do with me? Another case. Real shrewd operator went on trial for a murder his partner committed. Just to throw the cops so far off the trail they'd never catch up. He had an airtight alibi, too. What happened? His partner shot the alibi. The shrewd operator got 10,000 volts. Uh, uh... I guess you think you're scaring me. You're pretty stupid if I'm not. Now, listen, Dana, I told you that... Come on, talk. Where were you tonight? If you got an alibi, spill it. You're 10,000 miles out on a limb, Buster. What happens when it gets sawed off? Please, let me alone, Dana. Let me think. Let you think. That could be days. Where were you tonight? All right. All right. Just let go of me. Give. I... I was in a Turkish bath tonight from 10 to around 1. The guy that owns it left town right after. He's coming back for the trial. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. What What are you going to do with me? Bait a trap. Oh, Lou. Yeah, Inspector? The Kelso lawyer is on the phone. Wants to know what the charge is on Farlinger. Tell them no charge. We're sending them home. Lou! Tell them, will you, Inspector? I'll give you the reasons in a minute. You know what you're doing, Lou? I think so, Inspector. I think so. I got a nose for these things. Inspector Sherman took some more persuading. But in the end, we let Steve Farley go home. I figured to give him a half an hour and then go after him. I did. But when I got to Farley's place at the Gramercy, I'd figured it too close. I got to Farley's door fast and put my shoulder to it. That was my mistake. Oh. The gun butt didn't catch me square, and I've got a hard head. I went down, but not out. There was no hurry. I knew where I could find the one that slugged me. I crawled over on the floor to Steve Farley. There was no hurry about him at all. He was dead. It was around four when I arrived for the third time at the Kelso place. It was quiet. There were a couple of crickets outside. And they were the only ones who felt like singing. I could see light through the front window. But somebody heard me coming. The lights went off as I got to the door. I gave it the shoulder treatment. I did what I was trained to do, dropped to the floor and shot back. Then I got up and found the light switch. You're late, Ludena. 
Is it bad? As bad as he could make it. Don't let him get away. Don't. I'll be right back. I'll call a doctor as soon as I get him. Don't bother. Just get him. I'll get him. I was outside, and on the broad lawn, there was no place for a murderer to hide. Then I heard something. Old man Kelso had a huge aviary at one corner of the house. Something had disturbed the birds. Elliot! Not a very good place to hide, Elliot. Too noisy. There's no home for a killer, Elliot. Not even in a cage. Come on out. Come in and get me. Sure. Only I haven't got much time, Elliot. There's a girl needs a doctor because you shot holes in her. That wasn't very smart, Elliot. You must be about out of bullets. Try again. No bullets? I've still got plenty. And there's no one I'd rather use them on. Have one. Close? Maybe I can do better. Now I've got the range. I think this one has your name on it, Elliot. No, no, don't shoot, Dan. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I changed my mind. I like it better this way, Elliot. I want you to know what Kelso felt like. And Farley. And Vivian. Hold still, Elliot. No, no, don't. Don't, Dana, don't. No, you're not going anyplace. You should have stuck up bookkeeping, Elliot. It suits you better. That'll keep you quiet till I get back. I know. I wouldn't want to share the same cage with him either. There was a chill in the night air as I walked back into the house. To the beautiful widow, the beautiful heiress who was bleeding red on a white rug. I called the station, then I bent over her, and she opened her eyes. Vivian? Did you get him? Yes, I got him. You're good at that. That's my trade. Dana. Yes, Vivian? I wonder what my trade was. I never found it, did I? Looking like you do is a trade in itself, Vivian. Maybe. But it's not enough to make a life out of. Take it easy. I've got a dock on the way. I don't think I'll wait. Dana. Yes? How did you know? That it wasn't your brother? Why, well, I've been through it a thousand times. That makes a difference. It wasn't so smart. Oh, smart enough. Almost. We bring your brother to trial, he springs an alibi. Acquittal. Then if we come back to you and Elliot, your brother could confess. We couldn't try him over again. But we didn't fool you. Do you believe me, Dana, that I, I didn't know Elliot was going to shoot Steve? He had to shoot him. When I let Steve go, Elliot knew he'd spill the alibi. 
Then he had to shoot me, too, when I found out. All right. All right. Dana. Hurt much? No. Dana. Stevie's. Steve's not dead. He'll be all right. Vivian, Steve is... He'll be all right. I'm glad. Steve will get the money. Maybe he'll enjoy it. Sure. Sure. I never did. You hear me, Dana? I never did. Vivian. Her face relaxed. And it was a beautiful face. Even in death. In the distance, I could hear the wail of the oncoming siren. Late. A lot too late. And everything else was silence. I don't like killers. just heard another in a series starring Dan Durier as the man from Homicide. Mr. Durier can be seen starring in Al Jennings of Oklahoma. In tonight's cast, you heard Bill Boucher as Inspector Sherman, Herb Butterfield, Kelso, Joe Gilbert as Vivian, and Barney Phillip as Farley, and Tony Barrett as Elliot. Music was by Basil Adlam. <laughs> from Homicide is transcribed. Tonight's story was written by Dick Powell, directed by Dwight Hauser. Be with us again next week, same time over most of these same ABC stations to hear Dan Durier as the man from Homicide. Orville Anderson speaking. This program came to you from Hollywood. Preceding transcribed, America is sold on ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Well, this was uh, mostly a good episode. I liked uh, Kelso's comforting actions at the end, despite his loathing of murderers and assumingly co-conspirators. Though he's definitely a very bitter uh, person. I don't know how much of the show I would like to listen to. If all 14 weeks were available. Or if the show had went on for years. I probably uh, wouldn't uh, want to hear it. But as it is, it's an interesting take on the hard-boiled angle. And uh, I think there are some good moments that work their way in throughout the series. And certainly he... uh, Uh, kind of defines the outer edge of the hard-boiled detective genre. I also uh, thought the uh, sound effects were pretty good. I liked the bird in particular. I did wonder about the theme. At the very beginning of the opening, it sounded kind of 1960s, but then it just seemed to have um, a lot going on in it. It's a bit of an unusual theme. 
All right, well, we did have some listener comments and feedback, though, uh, all regards to the Charlie McGraw or Charles McGraw uh, pilot. Uh, Bobby Lee says, a pretty good uh, pilot. We'll give the new episode a try. Well, thanks so much, Bobby. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Uh, Joel offered his thoughts on the pilot. It was a little less uh, positive. Adam, I appreciate your dedication to the detective genre of old-time radio. I eagerly awaited the man from Homicide, but frankly was disappointed by the writing. It was hackneyed and self-conscious in an effort to be noir and hard-boiled. The scenes were often hard to believe, like the dialogue in the mobster's office with his henchmen and Lou. Uh, Peter Chambers grew on me, so I hope this one will too. Uh, thanks so much, Joel. It's Kind of hard when there's only three episodes for it to grow on you much, but um, I hope uh, listeners have enjoyed this series, this uh, very hard-boiled ABC Summer Replacement. And of course, next week we have an idea what we're going to get as we return to the lineup, and uh, I'll be looking forward to bringing you that. Tomorrow, uh, join us for the adventures of Philip Marlowe. Well, and before we go, uh, there was one other thing I did want to discuss. We're going to, after we get through the lost episodes of the lineup, we'll be turning our attention to that wonderful detective fiction character, Ellery Queen. And one thing uh, that I always thought was key to the Ellery Queen stories was uh, on the radio in particular, there would be a moment where he would bring on armchair detectives to proffer a solution to the mystery. And then we'd find out what happened with Ellery Queen. And when you get even into the 1970s TV show, they continued it in a, in a similar way. Um, before Ellery Queen would reveal the murder, as soon as he figured it out, he, uh, again, played by Jim Hutton, would turn to the TV screen, and he'd let you know he solved it, and he'd put the case before you and challenge you to match which with him, and you'd have the whole commercial break to think about it, while watching 1970s TV commercials, of course. And I like that feature of the show. However, there are some radio programs where it's missing, uh, either because it was Armed Forces Radio Services or edited in some way, so we don't have that. And I've had the thought of trying to recreate that segment when we get to Ellery Queen. Now, I don't mean reenactments, but having um, a conference call that's recorded and that Andrew can edit into our final uh, program where... I send uh, two listeners out the first part of an Ellery Queen mystery up to the point he reveals the solution. And then we chat, and then I challenge our armchair detectives to guess. And this would be inserted for Ellery Queen solved the case. And again, this would be recreating something that the Ellery Queen show did uh, during the golden age of radio. So I would like to know from listeners, what would they think of that sort of idea? And also, if you would be interested in volunteering uh, to record that uh, segment with me. And if you are interested, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I'll try and mention this on some other programs. Uh, also, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.